Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. 2 Timothy chapter 2. How many of you in this room are wondering how you can become a more effective uh, minister for Christ? Anybody? Want to become a more effective minister for Christ? I think we probably, if, if that isn't our goal, that should be our goal. We should always want to improve in our, on our ability to minister effectively for the Lord. And um, the, the, the first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 7 are going to teach us what is necessary for us to become a more effective minister for Christ. Will you stand with me? We will read our passage this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in a civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And Father, here we are with your word open. We ask, Lord, that you would speak into our lives. Just help us, Lord, to have understanding this morning. And Lord, specifically, will you give us a personal word this morning? How we can be more effective for you, Lord. We desire to hear from you now, we pray. Your spirit come and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the first thing that we, we notice when we come into chapter 2 is we notice the word, so then. And the past three weeks, it's been the same thing. Uh, that, the, that phrase, so then, can be translated, you therefore. What Paul is saying in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, is a continuation of what he was saying in chapter 1. You have to remember that when the Bible was, when, when these were written, these were letters. How do you read a letter? Oh, chapter 1, verse 6, is that how you read a letter? No, they weren't written like that either. We inserted those things. We inserted references, chapters, and, and um, you know, verse references for our remembrance. But they're letters. And so when you're reading things like this, it's always good when you come to a therefore to go back up to the top of the paragraph and you read a therefore there, keep going up to the next paragraph in order to keep things in context. Right? And so we've, the last two weeks it's been therefore, therefore, and now we come to the third week here in 2 Timothy 2 where he says therefore again. Everything that Paul is saying in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, relates to everything he said in chapter 1. So we're just going to be here for the next three hours and go through chapter 1, and then we'll go through... No. Hey, if you missed chapter 1, you missed the sermons in chapter 1, go back and listen to them. You, you need to understand these things. And it's best if you read these things, go home, just read the entire um, letter of 2 Timothy in, in just a, one setting and then read it over and over and over again. It keeps things in context. Paul is, is, is encouraging Timothy in chapter 1 to, to fully step into his calling, to not cower to the culture. 
Uh, he, he tells him in, in chapter 1, in the very beginning of the, of the chapter, remember your calling, Timothy. Over and over and over, he tells him, remember, remember, remember. Then we come to verse 6 through verse 18 of chapter 1 where Paul really is encouraging Timothy. Three times he, words, he uses the phrase, do not be ashamed. He's telling Timothy, you need to remain shameless for me, for Christ, if you want to be an effective minister. Now we come to chapter 2, verse 7, and, ten, and Paul is going to encourage Timothy. He's going to exhort him to be strong in grace. How am I going to be an effective minister for Christ? How am I going to do a better job at that? You're going to have to grow in grace. You're going to have to be strengthened in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. And so this is the context that Paul's framing these verses around. It's very simple outline in verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, we find the exhortation. Verses 2 through 6, we find the illustrations. And verse 7, we find the contemplation. We begin with the exhortation in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul beginning with, uh, you know, a, a summary, and then he goes into a term of endearment to Timothy. You then, my child... For those of you who don't know, Timothy is not Paul's biological son, but he is his spiritual son. He is his protege. He is his son in the faith. From the time Timothy was a teenager, Paul took him alongside through his missionary journeys, and he served with Paul for 15 plus years. Paul has taken Timothy by his side. He has grown him up in the Lord. He's, 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 he's seen the calling upon his life. And Paul understands that the baton of the gospel legacy that Paul has lived is now going to be passed on to Timothy. Paul is in jail writing this letter. He knows he's going to give up his life. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul that we find written in the New Testament. These are it. And so what he tells Timothy is, Timothy, I know my time is short. Here's the baton. Here's the very most important things that you need to know about carrying the gospel forward and living a life of legacy. Right? And so as he comes here, he tells Timothy, you, my child, this is a term of endearment. This is, this is Paul telling, uh, you know, kind of getting real with his son in the faith. Like any father wants his child to do well, Paul wants Timothy to succeed. He wants him to succeed in... Um, in his ministry, and he understands the struggle that Timothy has. Timothy's a timid man. He's unsure about some things, probably like a lot of us, a little timid, a little bit afraid to step out in faith. And Paul is encouraging Timothy constantly, almost even prodding him at times to step forward and to do what the Lord's calling him to do. There is, time is short for Paul. And so he's not going to pull any punches. He's going to be honest with, with um, Timothy here. And the one thing that we found last week is the, the source of, every, of power and the source that Timothy has to operate under, and it's the Holy Spirit. Paul encourages Timothy, man, you have to operate in, in the Holy Spirit. And so here we find him saying, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word, be strengthened. It's a present tense imperative, meaning it's an ongoing command. It's Paul telling Timothy, be being strengthened, Timothy. Don't ever stop being strengthened. You need to continually 
be strengthened. So for most of us, we think, oh man, that means I need to read my Bible more. I need to memorize more verses. I need to witness to more people. And I need to do, do, do. It's not anything like that. And in fact, the command from Paul to be strengthened is in the passive voice in the Greek. What does that mean? That means that it is not reliant upon himself. Paul is not saying, Timothy, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. How do you do that anyway? Can you really do that? No, you can't, but we say that. We need, you need to, it means to rely on yourself. No, he's saying, Timothy, you need, you need to rely on someone else. He's saying you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. How am I to be being strengthened? By surrendering over and over and over to the Holy Spirit. Some of us think that, you know, we've surrendered to Christ, we've prayed a prayer, and we're good to go. And that may be true as it relates to salvation. But as it relates to sanctification, the constant changing process, that, could, that, that is totally not true. You surrender over and over and over again in the Holy Spirit constantly shaping and changing you, making you more like Jesus. It's a process. And that's why Paul is saying you have to continually rely on the Holy Spirit, being surrendered to the Holy Spirit in order to do what uh, you know, I'm going to instruct you to do. That's what it means when he said in chapter 1, verse 6, fan into flame the gift of God. The gift of God. It's the Holy Spirit given to us. And then the Holy Spirit gives us resources, love, power, and self-control. Verse 7 of chapter 1. Paul is telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, your source of strength is never you. It's never you. It's always the Holy Spirit. Anything related to Christian activity, anything related to ministry, is, is, has to be, you have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of the strength that we need to carry out our mission. But wait, there's more. Paul goes on here and he says, tells Timothy the substance by which the Holy Spirit strengthens him specifically. Here he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, be strong in grace. What is grace? Grace is, listen, very simply, grace is the supernatural power of the Christian life. <laughs> you want to be an effective minister of Christ? You better be super strong in grace. Like, you better be bodybuilder strong in grace. That was weak. I know my muscles went bloop. But anyway, you have to be strong in grace. Grace is not getting, or getting what you don't deserve. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. Oh, man. Paul says, Timothy, in order to be an effective minister, you have to be strong in that. In that. I wonder why. Because it's by grace that you are saved. It's by grace that you are sanctified. And it is by grace that you will minister in this world. It's by grace. God is a God of grace. And if we're going to represent Him well, we're going to have to be people that are strengthened in grace. Not just any grace, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This grace is unbelievable. This is the kind of grace, listen, that 
when you're crucified on a cross, looking down upon the people that are still hurling insults at you, that you look up to your father and you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the kind of grace that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of grace when a betrayer comes up to your face, you know they're there to betray you, and, you, and he kisses you, and you say, friend, why have you come? Almost extending him an opportunity to walk away from this situation right here. That kind of grace. That's what Paul is saying. You have to be strong, strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus Jesus was strengthened by grace. And so are we as his disciples. That means that we must love those who don't deserve it. We must serve those who don't deserve it. That is true grace, folks. You want to know if you're strong in grace? Just go out on the street and start being nice to people and see how that works out for you. When people start to you know, get, get irritated with you because you're in their way. Because like you want something because you're being kind to them. And what do you do? Oftentimes, what do we do? We respond back the same way, right? Well, no, no, that's not grace. That's not strengthened by grace. Grace continues on even when you're being ridiculed like that. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about true grace. He said, it's not true gold if it won't stand the fire, and it's not true grace if it won't bear affliction. What's the test of true grace? Suffering. You want to know if you're really operating in grace? When you suffer, you'll know if you're truly walking in grace. If, if we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, then we will have everything that we need in every situation to be kind, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be good to everyone, including our enemies. Uh, Ken R. Hughes said regarding this passage, he said, nothing would come Timothy's way as he guarded the gospel that he would not have uh, the graced strength to handle no person, no pain, no problem, no responsibility, no tragedy. There would be no time where he could not stand tall. And this is true for all who are in Christ and thus under his grace. If he calls you to do something, he will supply sufficient strength through his grace. If he calls you to step forward, he will give you the power. If he calls you to step up, he will give you the fortitude. If he calls you to endure, the strength you need will be found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Wow, what a powerful statement. Real grace will look just like Jesus. The exhortation is clear. Paul telling Timothy, you need to continually be being strengthened daily by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the point of the passage, folks. This is everything he's getting to here. Paul now will go on to illustrate this truth through four different disciplines in life, that of a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. What does it look like to be strong in grace? Look at the teacher, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy has a call on his life to be a teacher. Not just a teacher, but a teacher of teachers. 
Timothy is called to disciple pastors. That is his call. Of course, he has the, the broad call like you and I, uh, like all of us have to go into all the world, the Great Commission. He has that call, but he has the call to be a teacher of teachers, to disciple pastors. Now, he can't do this in his own strength. He needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, the teacher is, is a vital role in order for the gospel to continue to go forward. William Barclay said, the teacher is a link in the living chain that stretches unbroken from this present moment back to Christ, back to Jesus Christ. The glory of teaching is that it links the present with the earthly life of Jesus Christ. Do you know right now, as you walk and you teach people the Bible, you teach people the Word of God, you're linked all the way back to Jesus Christ himself 2,000 years ago when he was saying these words to people. That's the point. When you teach other people, you're furthering. The baton is being passed to someone else. And their responsibility now, we're going to see in a moment, their entrustment now is to take that and pass it on to somebody else. You're not saved to sit on the information. Folks, you are saved, you are changed, you are transformed to pass on the baton of the gospel to somebody else. Aren't you thankful that somebody else did that for you? Yes. Man, I'm so grateful for those people. How many of you in this room had a, a disciple or some, a mentor, someone who came alongside you and helped you grow in your relationship with Christ? How many of you? Put your hands up. Almost everyone in here has had somebody come alongside them. Let me tell you something. Was it, was it easy for them to do that for you? Let me tell you something. I was a pain in the butt. <laughs> I got saved totally not outside of the church and, you know, I wasn't a church-going person or anything like that. I got saved in the middle of the night in my bedroom. Same testimony as Pat Barrow over here, but um, same idea. Um, but here's the deal. God immediately had someone come alongside me and begin to teach me. You know, this guy wasn't a pastor or anything. He was just a guy going to church, and he saw a baby floundering around trying to feed himself, had no idea what he's doing. That, was, that would be me. And he said, dude, you need some serious help. I need to help you. Let me, let me come alongside you. And he began to teach me. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because when I, when he would come over my house once a week and we were doing study and he was helping me understand, I was so thankful for that. But I still was very, very raw. And uh, it was a time in my life where I used to chew tobacco and I used to love that. And I was trying, I was like, man, I should probably quit that because I'll probably die of cancer if I don't. So I was trying to quit. Anybody ever had tried to quit smoking or tobacco, nicotine or something? That makes you so nice. You are such a nice person. When you do that, you are like the best person to be around. My wife's like, will you go get addicted to something else so that you can come back in the house and be so kind to me and nice to me? Well, poor Brian showed up on a day that I was struggling irritated, angry. And he's sitting here teaching me the Bible. And I'm just being a total jerk to him. I'm like, I don't, hey, what do you think that means? I don't know. What do you think it means? You know, this kind of stuff. Like, dude, what's your, what's your problem, man? I'm taking my time out of my day to come over and help you learn. I don't need to learn this. You need to learn this. That wasn't his attitude. You know what his attitude was like? Grace. I, he could see that something was wrong with me. 
He didn't, he didn't even ask. He just remained graceful to me, loving. And at the end of it, I felt like a heel. You know, you pray that last prayer and you're closing out your Bible study and you're like, and Lord, I just pray you blessed him. I'm so thankful for him. And I'm like, what? What is wrong with this guy? That's grace. And I'm so thankful for Brian. He taught me so much about Jesus. And guess what? I am now passing the baton on that Brian gave me. And the same with you, whoever that person was in your life that helped you grow. And, you know, it, it, and it, it, it's different in different stages of your life. You're listening to different people and you're growing with different people and you're taking, you know, a little bit of their stuff and you're passing that on to people. And the whole point of it is that that information is not to be sat on. It's to be given out. It's to take in and to pass back out to somebody. I want to encourage you this morning that that is the call for you. We all have, in a sense, a call to teach. Maybe not in the broader context of standing before a, a congregation, but teach, literally, the, the word disciple, to make a disciple, that word means learner. To be a learner, well, you have to, if you're teaching somebody, they're learning. Right? That's part of the Great Commission. And what did Jesus tell us in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples, make learners, so you've got to be a teacher, and then teach them. Teach them to do all that I have commanded you. Well, you're a teacher. And you're called to pass on that baton that you've been given. I would encourage you this morning, if you've not taught somebody yet, be looking around. The Lord has someone in your path. How many times have you passed by the opportunity to sit down with somebody and disciple them? Real disciple-making, folks, is not inviting somebody to church. Real disciple-making is taking the time yourself to sit down with them and say, I want relationship with you. I want you to know about Jesus, and I'm going to be the one to tell you. I'm going to disciple you. You know, I, I like this analogy because Paul... There's always, you should always have a Paul in your life and a Timothy in your life. You should always have a mentor and somebody you're mentoring. Always in the Christian life, we, sh we should be doing that as the Lord leads. I'm not saying, man, I need, okay, I got to go find somebody today. The Lord will show you. Don't you think that in, in, in the fact that he's given you that call on your life already that he's not going to supply somebody for you to do that with? He's not going to supply a mentor for you to be able to listen, sit under? Of course he will. But teachers, man, they have a hard job, and they have to be strengthened by grace. You have to be gracious to be a good teacher. Listen, if you, are, if you grow in frustration with somebody because they keep messing up while you're trying to teach them, then you need to work on your teaching skills. You need to grow in grace. Amen? We start by surrendering to the Holy Spirit in this regard. By surrendering to the Holy Spirit, asking Him to strengthen us in grace so that we can teach the way that we're called to teach. Not only are we to be like a teacher, but also like a soldier. Look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Timothy was to be like a good soldier and suffer well. That's what Paul is saying here. Notice, suffering is not optional. Suffering is, not, is, is the result of being a soldier. You will suffer. It's not if... But it's when. And, and Paul wants, wants Timothy to understand that. 
But notice Paul says, I need you to be a good soldier. That's to suggest that there's also bad soldiers. To be a good soldier. What does that mean, to be a good soldier? Spurgeon said, this is the kind of soldier that is the bravest of the brave. He is courageous at all times. He is zealous, doing his duty and with heart and earnestness. A good soldier is committed to his job at all cost. A good soldier will hear the command from his commanding officer and he will do it. And he will not look back until his job is done. The mission is over. A good soldier doesn't run out of the fight. He runs into the fight. A good soldier is not concerned about himself. But he's concerned about pleasing the one who enlisted him, Paul says. Wow. Wow, you're like a good soldier. Timothy, you're called to be like that. What would hinder Timothy from being a good soldier? What would hinder you from being a good soldier? Well, he tells us. It's, it's getting entangled in civilian pursuits. What does that mean? The idea of entangling. It means to interweave. To interweave what? Civilian pursuits i.e. in the Christian life, the world, to weave the world into your life. And so when you walk outside the four walls of this church and people view you, there is no difference in you. You don't have a difference because you've interwoven your life into the world to the point that they can't tell a difference. No longer are you a soldier on the outside, not all, not, no longer is it very evident that you are a soldier on mission, but now it's almost as if you've gone AWOL, and now you are, uh, you know, so entrapped by the things of this world that you've totally forgot about what you're supposed to be doing. This is the analogy that Paul gives Timothy. Timothy, beware of the civilian pursuit you know, what does that mean? Well, beware of the world because the world has a draw, doesn't it? The world is, 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 there's something about the world that's enticing to us. You know, of course, there's many things about the world that are not enticing to us. So what we do is we just kind of carve those things out and we navigate towards those things that we do like. You know, the problem with that is that if we're so focused on what we like about the world, that, that our, all of our time and energy is spent on those things, everything that relates to the horizontal, we'll forget about the mission. We'll forget about... And, and I would say that that's a danger for every single person in this room. Every single person online. Anybody who has ever been a Christian, that is a danger for them. It's something that we need to keep guard over our hearts to make sure that we don't get sucked in to this world. Paul said, you need to be a good soldier in that regard. You know, when the soldier is, is, when he enlists himself, by the way, it's free will that he does that. Nobody comes to the door and says, you're, you're now in the, the, the army. Like, if you live in Israel, you're, it's mandatory that you serve in the military. You know, when you're 18 years old, you serve in the military. 
It's mandatory. You don't get a choice. In the United States, you have a choice. You freely enlist yourself. And, and so you have a choice in that. And when you freely enlist yourself, what you're doing is you're contracting your life. Not nine to five, your life for whatever period of time that is. It could be four years. It could be eight years. You know, some dudes are like, man, they're giving like 50 grand bonus. I'm going to sign up for the rest of my life. Good luck with that. Have fun with that. We appreciate your service, though. But man, it's, it's, my point is that it's a sacrifice. And you are not, you are no longer your own at that point. You know, we, we joke around saying you are now property of the United States, you know, of America if you sign up for the military. Do you know that's true? And although there are many, many ways to get out of those things, little loopholes that we can find, the, the premise of it is that you've given yourself over to this thing and you were sold out to it. And everything else comes second. Isn't that what the Christian life is supposed to be like? Isn't everything else, and I mean everything else, your spouse, your children, your job, your friends, everything else is secondary. The only thing, that the primary thing is Jesus Christ. You freely enlisted yourself. You signed in his blood and said, I want to be your slave. We don't sissify things, slave. Not servant, slave. I'm a slave of Christ, but he's a good master. And he loves me so much, and he takes care of me, but I've enlisted myself to him. Now what is my mission? Whatever pleases him. My aim, my focus, my goal in life is to please Christ. You cannot do that if you're sucked into the world, Christian. You cannot do it. You want to know the most miserable person on the world is? You want to know who it is? A Christian who's straddling the fence between the church and the world. That is the most miserable place you can be in the world because you know you're supposed to be over here and you know that and you don't really fit over here either and so you're stuck in the middle and it's miserable. If that's you this morning, here's the awesome thing about our God is that he says, just come on back over to the right side. Just take a step back towards me. I'm standing right here, ready to receive you in. God wants you to turn your life totally over to him, not partially, totally over. All idols have to be chopped down. Listen to what Paul said when it came to him and his mission for Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is somebody that's 100% sold out, saying, Jesus, you have my life. I don't care about my life. My life is in your hands, and I'll do whatever it is that you call me to do. And that's how he lived. And, and we, we go, oh, wow, I wish I could live that way. You can, and you're supposed to. It's not optional. You're supposed to. And in fact, if you're not, then you're outside of the will of God in your life. You know, oh, that sounds harsh. It's true. Jesus has to be the center of your life. You wonder why you're not blessed? Because perhaps you're not, he's not the center of your life. Something else is, and he will not compete with idols.
he will not. Paul goes on and he uses the analogy of an athlete and he says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Could you imagine Patrick Mahomes th this afternoon as he's QB in and he, he decides four downs isn't enough. I'm getting six. And he takes the six snap, they throw it for a touchdown and they win the Super Bowl. No, that doesn't work that way. There are rules. I'm not even a football player. I'm not even a football watcher. And, and you know, uh, I know that. I played football. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if LeBron James decided dribbling is stupid? I'm just going to carry the ball down the court. <laughs> Wouldn't it be ridiculous if Tiger Woods said, it, I don't like to drive the ball. I want to just drop it on the green. Uh, they could all do that, and that would be fine. But guess what? They wouldn't be crowned. There would be no crown because you're not playing by the rules. There's rules. And the rules that Paul is relating to are the Greek games here. There were specific rules. You had to be a trained athlete for at least 10 months in order to compete here. That was a rule. You had to be a, a Greek-born citizen to be an athlete to play in these games. These are the rules. If you didn't fit in the rules, you couldn't compete. And if they found that you competed and you, you broke any of these rules and you won, they'd take your crown. Isn't that what they do when they find an athlete using performance substances? P performance enhancing substances, they, they take their crown. They strip them, which is, should be the case because there are rules. Paul is telling Timothy that, you know, for, for, for Timothy to, uh, to, to live this life well, that he needs to do it by the rules. What are the rules? God's rules. Some of us live the Christian life by our own rules. We just do whatever we want. We figure, hey, God saved me, and I'm just going to live my life now by my own rules. Yeah, but the Bible says you should. Yeah, but, you know, that, you know God's, God's cool with me. He knows where I am. Oh, really? So you're the, you're the exception to the rule then? Is that how that works? Well, yeah, he likes me. Well, he likes me too, but, you know, that, that's not how that works. But what are the rules? What are the rules? James chapter 1, verse 12. Listen to this. You want the crown? Here's the rules. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What are the rules? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the rules. That's what Jesus said. Right? And, and we do that, we do that well, and you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and you're going to get a crown when you show up into heaven. You're, the Lord's going to give you a crown. Of course, he did all the work, and that's why we cast it back at his feet. But, but the reality of it is, 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 you know, there are rules to this. And, and James tells us specifically that those rules are literally to stand the test, to stand under fire, you know, to not cower when difficulty comes your way. To remain steadfast under trial. To abide in Christ in those moments. And then you'll have the crown of life. Now we can so mistakenly take this passage and say, oh, so I'm saved by what I do. No, that's not the point. The point of what James is saying here is that your salvation is not in play in terms of how you obtain salvation here. He's showing this is the evidence of your salvation. 
You know, as you remain steadfast to Christ, you're truly sold out to Him. You've genuinely come to know Christ. You've given your life over to Him. You're born again. And the evidence of that is your willingness to stand under trial, to be steadfast in those things. This doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You don't have to go any further than Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 to know that your works have nothing to do with salvation. It's Christ's works alone. But your works have everything to do with the evidence of your salvation. Paul says the rules here. If you're a Christian... You're going to remain steadfast under trial. You're going to stand firm and you're, you will receive. It's not a question. You will receive the crown of life. Paul goes on here now. He talks about a farmer. He says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The fourth illustration uh, the, 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 that Paul uses here explains the necessity of all Christians to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus is that of a farmer. Anybody know farmer? Anybody ever been on a farm, worked on a farm, anything like that? A few of you guys have. Listen, farming is hard work. Farming is incredibly hard work. The, the phrase hard working literally means to toil intensely, to sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion if necessary. Farmers are in partnership with God. They, they, must, they must work hard if they expect to share in the crop. In one respect, God won't do what the farmer is supposed to do, prepare the land, sow the seed, etc., but in another respect, the farmer also cannot do what God must do. And that is to bring the rain and the sunshine needed for the seed to grow. A farmer is in partnership with God. Do you know that? You're in partnership with God. You're totally dependent on Him to do only things that He can do. But He will not do the things that you're supposed to do. It is an incredible illustration as it relates to the Christian walk. Because you're like a farmer. You're called to sow the seed. You're called to water. You're called to, to plant. You're called to do those things. Jesus uses that analogy. But at the same token, or, or Paul, says, Paul said that actually, but at the same token, notice, the, the harvest comes from the Lord. The harvest comes from the Lord. It's the Lord where the fruit comes. It's the Lord depending on the Lord to do what only He can do. And that's to grow those things up. You're in partnership with the Lord in ministry. You have to depend on Him to do those things, but you also must be willing to do what only you can do. He will bring the increase. What is the harvest that we should expect? Some suggest the harvest is within, referring to the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Some say it's a harvest on the outside, speaking of unbelievers being saved. Jesus indicated this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, where he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Which one is it? Which harvest are we talking about? I say it's both. I think it is both. I think it's biblically it is both. 
That if you're faithful to do what God um, is calling you to do and you're hardworking and you're, you're about his business and you're doing those things, you're going to have the evidence, the harvest of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to see those fruits in your life. But I also think that you will see fruit in terms of a harvest because Jesus said, man, the labors are few. Jesus is looking for laborers to go into the harvest People are scared right now, folks. People are, are, are hopeless. They have nowhere, no idea where to turn. I mean, it doesn't matter where you turn on the news, there's bad news. It doesn't matter where you turn, it's telling us all the same thing. This, this world is spiraling out of control. If you're not, if you, that's why we don't watch the news, because we, we don't want to know. We just go, oh, I don't want to know. And by the way, if that's unhealthy for you to watch the news, please don't. Because that's not good for you. But here, here's the idea is to shut out real information because you don't want to know versus the way that you process that are two different things. A lot of people in the world just want to be blinded and not know that Christ is coming back. They, they don't want to know what they're accountable to. But we, we are called to go into the fields of the world and there's a harvest to reap. But you have, to go, you have to go into it. The Lord has to send you. He's already sent you. So do your job. You're in partnership with the Lord regarding that. This brings us to the final thought here. The contemplation, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Paul ends this section with an action item for Timothy. Timothy, think over what I say. That phrase means to think over a matter with care, to think about carefully, to consider well. This is a command, not a suggestion from the, the Apostle Paul. Paul says, you must consider what I'm saying, Timothy. And listen, he goes on to say, look, this is the most important part of it. And the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Sometimes we focus so much on us bringing understanding to somebody. You know what Paul said? Here's the information. Think about it, and the Lord will help you understand that. I love that. Oftentimes, we put way too much pressure on ourselves to convince people. Your job is not to convince people of anything. You are a messenger. A messenger simply gives the information out that he's been given. That's all you're responsible for, folks. Don't put additional pressure on yourself to try and convince people of the gospel. You cannot do it. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, 1 John 2.27. He's the one that helps us understand these things. And please, for, for the love of the Lord, do not use the analogy of an egg or, or, or water for the Trinity. I'm telling you that as a person who struggled with that when I first got saved... And people try to explain it with human terms. I'm like, so God is like an egg? But he's like water. Water is ice and liquid and steam. And God is Father, Son, and Oh, I get it. Not at all. That, listen, that, that is... <laughs> you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But I'm telling you, that specific subject, totally struggled with. Do you know who gave me understanding? The Lord. So many people tried to explain it to me in human terms. Listen, guys, the Holy Spirit's the teacher. All we do is give the message. Let the Lord give the person time to breathe and to ponder over and to think carefully about what you've given them. The Lord will give them the understanding of it. 
Amen? Amen. Listen, if we're going to be effective ministers for Christ, we need to be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the strength and grace. He is, he's the agent. He uses to strengthen us. It's how God brought you to himself, and it's how God will use you uh, to help others know him as well. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and what an incredible passage we have here, Lord. We pray that you would help us to apply what we've heard this morning, Lord. God, we, we want to be effective ministers, but what you're telling us is that we need to be strong in grace. And so, for some of us here this morning, Lord, this is a direct word, because we, in a lot of respects, don't live with any grace. And yet, you're the God of grace. And Father, I, I just pray for those here this morning that are hung up, that are bound by something that is not allowing them to understand grace correctly. And most oftentimes it's a fear of people abusing grace. And yet, Father, you never allow that fear to stop you from giving us grace. So help us never to allow that that fear, that spirit of fear that, that is not of you to ever stop us from being gracious, graceful to those around us, Father. We ask you this morning, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would help each one of us, God, to consider where we sit with you, Lord. Are we in right relationship with you? You're the God of grace, and you transform lives in an instant. And so even right now, if I were not in right relationship with you, I could come and do that right now. By grace. Through faith. And if you're here this morning, you're not in right relationship with God, you, you're, you're stuck in, in this place in your life where you do not have assurance that you're going to heaven, that your sins are forgiven, and you're, you've heard what's been said here today. That God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. To pay the penalty for your sin. He gave his body and his blood so that you and I could be forgiven. And all you need to simply do is receive it this morning. It's a gift that God has given you. And I want to encourage you, if you're not if that's you this morning, don't move into communion and take, partake of communion, which is for believers. Become a believer first. We're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, and to partake of that without truly believing in it would be amiss. And so right now, if you want to come to Christ, you just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. I want to be cleansed and forgiven. I receive Jesus as my Lord this morning. I believe that he died for me, that he rose again from the dead for me, and I put all my trust and faith in him today, not in my works, but his. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that anyone who prays a prayer of sincerity like that 
will, you will by no means cast out, you say. And so we just ask for, your, for blessing over your saints this morning, Lord. We ask you as we have this sweet time of communion here that you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.